Today's shir begins nine lines from the top. On the side of the Gemara, you'll notice we have a no say, a topic heading, which introduces the Gemara's question, Sheila, a question, Haim yesh mi'ila bekoinomois. Konomos is a term that those who have been learning Nidoram are quite familiar with it, the word konom in the singular. This is a situation where a person imposes <coughs> a prohibition on an item. For example, he would say konom kikarze olai. That would mean that the kikar, the loaf, is unto him like a korban, like a sacrifice. And a sacrifice, obviously, is something that is strictly forbidden to uh, derive personal benefit from it. Now, in the realm of korbonos, of sacrifices, there exists a prohibition of deriving personal benefit, and it's referred to as me'ila. What is the din if a person imposes a, say, a personal restriction on an item through the konom method, declaring it like a korbon? Does that impose upon it an isur mi'ilo as well? And the result of mi'ilo is, is that you would then owe the value of the item. If you do derive personal benefit from it, you would have to pay the value of the item plus a fifth to the base hamigdash. So how far do we go when we speak about konom as being like a korban? Does that entail the mi'ilo violation as well? Bomine, the Gemara text now, nine lines from the top. Bomine, Rova me Rav Nachmon, Yesh Me'ila Bekoinomos Oi Loi. Does the Me'ila prohibition apply to a Konom Isur, a Konom prohibition, or not? And we can look in the Ran as well. Uh, across from here, a couple lines down, you see Yesh Me'ila Bekoinomos in the Ran commentary. Ha'isu Dover Alof Bekoinom. Person who imposed a prohibition upon an item using the konom declaration, and then he violates his vow and benefits from it. Is he guilty of the mi'ilo violation or not? Do we say that he made the loaf, for example, or whatever item? like a sacrifice, and in violation of mi'ilah, as would be the case of deriving personal benefit from a sacrifice, you have to bring a special guilt offering called an oshom mi'ilos. Would he have to do that over here or not? Now, that was the question that Rava raised. Omar Lei, Rav Nachman responds to Nisuha. You can answer it from our Mishnah. And the Mishnah dealt with a case of Mudar Hana, where someone imposed a prohibition uh, on someone not to benefit from him. And that is, in effect, the same as Konam. And it says in the Mishnah, the Mishnah dealt with the issue of returning a lost item, and uh, specifically, uh, one party had prohibited. Uh, deriving benefit from the other party. And the Mishnah said that even though there is this uh, prohibition between them of benefiting uh, one benefit the other, he nevertheless is allowed to return his lost item. However, the Mishnah said that in a place where a fee is paid for the return of a lost article, that fee is to be paid to the Beis Hamikdash. 
So, in quoting, <coughs> the Gemara quotes the Mishnah, <coughs> in a place where a fee is paid for the return of a lost item, that fee cannot be paid to the one returning it, because that would be a violation of the vow, of the koinam. So, the money is paid to the Beis HaMikdash. This shows us, ki hegdish, that konam is like, hegdish is like, uh, sanctification to the base of Migdosh. Even though, let me just repeat the main point here, Konam isn't an actual Korban. It's a personal prohibition that was imposed. But you see that we treat it as if it were Hektish. Ma Hektish Yesh just like Hektish, f- things that are formally sanctified to the base Migdosh embody within them the Mi'ila prohibition. Af Konamos Yesh Bohen Mi'ila. So to Konomos carry with it the Mila prohibition. The Gemara continues and says, Kitanoi, that this ma issue is in fact a machlokes tanoim. And so you see here a Tanaic source, and within this source you see, uh, you might notice some squiggle underlining this Rebbe Meir, and then later the Chachomim, and you'll see this issue is a machlokes. Konom kikar zu hektish v'ochla, person declared a particular loaf to be Konam, to be like a korban, and then he ate it, he violated the vow. Bainhu, uvein chavero, moal. This uh, was dashed, underlined, to show that there is mi'ilah konamos. And since the konam is treated like hektish, lefikoch yesh mo'pidyon, therefore just like in the case of hektish, something can be redeemed, so too, uh, since this item was prohibited on everybody, he mentioned in his vow that this this uh, loaf shall be hegdish for everyone. It's prohibited to everyone across the boards, just like something that you sanctify to the base of hegdish proper is prohibited to everyone for personal benefit. And just like something sanctified to the base of Migdash <clears throat> has within it the potential for redemption, whereby you offer money to the base of Migdash in, in, order to, in exchange for the item that had been sanctified, thereby releasing it from its status of sanctity. Likewise with something upon which the Konam prohibition was imposed. And that's what the Gemara means when it says, Lefikoch yesh lo pidyon. Now, here's a variation on the theme. Koinam zu olai hegdish. Here, he imposed a konam prohibition on the loaf, but only with regard to himself. We call it a limited prohibition. The ochla, and he then ate it. Hu mo'al, chavero lo mo'al. Once again, there is mi'ilah. He's guilty of the mi'ilah violation. However, his friend, if he eats it, is not mo'al. It wasn't prohibited to him. Lefikach, since the uh, prohibition is only is limited, it's only on him. It's not a a, uh, a general prohibition. Uh, therefore, lefikach ain law pidyon. It doesn't lend itself to redemption. The Ran on this points out chavero lo moal lefikach ain law pidyon. The given the chavero lo moal since. The friend is not subject to a mi'ilo violation, so the lo olim kehegdish lemitvas pidyon it doesn't have a high level of sanctity in it. In order for pidyon to be done to be effective, the item would have to have a high level of sanctity. Only then does pidyon 
uh, appear as an option. But if it doesn't have a high level of sanctity, the expression in the Ran that we just read, low olim, olim means strong, it's low olim. It doesn't have the strength of hektish. Hektish is something that's a, let's call it a national prohibition. Across the boards, everyone is restricted. Not so in this particular example, where he said, kikar zu olai. He limited it to himself. That is Divrei Rabbi Meir. All of that we said, we've said till now in the source is Rabbi Meir's opinion, Bachachomim Omrim. The Chachomim, notice they will disagree. Bainkach, Bainkach, Lo Moal. Whether it's a national prohibition, it's a, a prohibited uh, to everybody, or a personal prohibition, there is Lo Moal, there is no Mi'ilah. Lefishain Mi'ilah Bekonomos, and notice, of course, the dashed underlining. There is no mi'ilah when it comes to something that's prohibited through konam. So as the Gemara said, the issue that was raised by Rava turns out to be a machlokes tanoi between Rabbi Meir and the Chachomim. Now we have a question, and on the side we introduce this with a no say. Uh, the she'ilah, kikri olecha, person declared the, a loaf to be prohibited upon his friend it's also to you and then he gives it to him as a gift is there in doing so and this question is raised in light of what we just got finished discussing this question of will be relevant only if you hold that the concept of or the prohibition exists within the realm of Kainomos. So making that assumption that there is Me'ila B'Konomos, we now ask the following. We can turn to the Gemara text, and you'll notice we have a question that's uh, illustrated as a uh, five-line question. My loaf upon you means I'm ushering, I'm prohibiting my loaf uh, to you. And then he gives it to him as a gift. Mimoal. Is there mi'ilah? So we now analyze who would be guilty of the mi'ilah here. Lim oil noisein. Should we say that the noisein, the giver of the gift, the original owner, is guilty of mi'ilah? But holo asira ale. It wasn't uh, uh, wasn't prohibited upon him. So he he. Uh, why should he be guilty of a mi'ilah offense if he's uh, simply transferring something that it, that it was not also wasn't prohibited to him in the first place. Lim oil mekabel. Should we say that the receiver of the gift is guilty of meila? Yochol d'omar. Well, he can respond. Hetero boisi surlo boisi. I was willing to receive something that is mutter. I'm not willing to receive something that is prohibited, so that the the uh, the my receipt isn't a receipt. I'm not receiving something that I don't want to receive. Omar Lay. So Ravashi answers, The receiver of the uh, gift of the item uh, will be guilty of Me'ilo when he uh, transfers it away, when he uses it, when he sells it. Shekol ha-moitzi mois hegdish there is a well-known uh, principle with regard to uh, this expenditure of items that were sanctified. Anyone who spends sanctified monies 
for mundane purposes, thinking that the money was in fact mundane. In other words, we're not dealing with a malicious individual. We're dealing with someone that uh, genuinely thought, or we could say mistakenly thought, that the money that he was using to buy a shirt, to buy a lawnmower, was mundane Hulin common funds. And it turned out to be Hegdish. We say he is guilty of Me'ilah. So, so to the one who receives the prohibited item, when he takes that prohibited item, and let's say he exchanges it for uh, some other item, he takes the prohibited loaf and exchanges it uh, for a spoon. At that point, he will be guilty of mi'ilah, even though he thought that the item was allowed. Uh, the Rashi points out uh, the example here is that the receiver of the loaf will be guilty of Mila if he eats it. We continue with the Mishnah at the top of Omid Beis. The Mishnah. Now the Mishnah continues with the general theme of Mudur Hanol Mechavero, where uh, one prohibited someone else from deriving benefit. The Mishnah says, even though uh, the, uh, the one had imposed a prohibition on the other from deriving benefit from him, Vitorim uh, es trumaso maestrosov ledaito, he is allowed to uh, tithe his produce, uh, the truma tithe and the meiser tithe. Uh, the details of this will be dealt with in the Gemara, so we're not going to uh, dwell on it right now. Uh, you can see the Rashi immediately says, Rashi and the Ran say, Meforish Gemara. Uh, the, the details will be explained in the Gemara. And if the uh, Madir was a Kohen, if the one who imposed the vow, the prohibition on the other fellow, is a Kohen who is able to serve in the Beis HaMikdash, the Mishnah says, Umakrivolov, Kine Zovim, Kine Zovos, Kine Yoldos, Chatois Vashamos. He, as a Kohen, can offer the other party, the prohibited parties, uh, various sacrifices. The Kine are bird offerings. A, a, a cane is a. Uh, a bird offering, generally speaking, two birds are uh, contained within a bird offering. And a Zav and Zavos, these are different types of people that experience defilement. And after their requisite purification period, there is an obligation on their part to bring these sacrifices. Uh, and Kine Yoldos, these are women that bore children. Chatos and Hashem sin offerings and guilt offerings. Tomorrow we'll delve into this in greater detail as well. What else? Even though one has prohibited his friend from benefiting, Umalamdo, Medrash, Halochis Vagodos, he is allowed to teach him uh, different areas of Torah. Uh, Medrash is the, uh, we'll say, the um, oral tradition and understanding verses of the Torah. Halochis and Agodos um, and Avolo Yilamdenu Mikra, but uh, the but actual scripture Mikra uh, verses he cannot teach him. Avomalamid who es bonov ves benoisov Mikra, but he can teach the prohibited parties' sons and daughters Mikra. The 
topic heading that we have for this piece of Gemara, you can see on the side, the Nosei, and we also indicate that it's a long topic, it goes to the Lamed Vav Amad Aleph, Hani Kehanim, we're going to be uh, analyzing the role of Kohanim as, uh, we'll say, agents for the offering of sacrifices. Shluchei Shmayahem or Shluchei Didon. Are they considered agents of heaven, carrying out the will of heaven, or are they considered our agents? A non-Kohen, obviously, cannot offer, cannot physically uh, offer uh, sacrifices uh, do the temple ritual, the Avodas HaKorbanas, that's something that only the Kohanim have a right to do, are the Kohanim possibly then our agents for the offering of sacrifices? And you'll ask, what difference does it make how you categorize them, either heaven's agents or our agents? Nafkamina, Lukain Shehidir, I know the practical Nafkamina is a Kohen who declared that he will, he does not allow uh, his friend to benefit from him, from the Kohen. Can the Kohen offer his, this, uh, this fellow's sacrifices? Is that considered a violation of the vow? If you say that the Kohen is a, an agent of heaven, so he's not acting uh, as an emissary, as an agent of the prohibited party, so it would be okay. However, if you say that a Kohen in offering sacrifices is the agent of the owner of the sacrifice, then the Kohen who said to this particular party, I don't want you to benefit from me, if the Kohen acts as his agent, he is then conveying benefit uh, by by. Uh, acting out or carrying out the uh, the orders and the desires of the person that uh, he had said he will not uh, allow to benefit. The Gemara, Ibayalaho, and we now raise the question that we introduced: Hani Kaihani, Kohanim that are offering sacrifices. Shluche di Donhavu, are they the agents of the owner of the sacrifice? O Shluche di Shmaya, or are they agents of heaven? Lamai Nafkamina, what practical difference is there? The answer to that is Lamudor Hano. The practical difference comes in the case where uh, in, one had uh, restricted the other from deriving benefit. And specifically in this case, in a case that the Kohen had said to a specific person, uh, I don't want you to derive benefit from me. If you say that the Kohen is a an agent of the owner of the sacrifice, well, by carrying out the owner the owner's will and acting as his agent, well then he, the Kohen, is is giving benefit to someone that the vow had indicated otherwise that the coin is not to give benefit to him. The coin said, I don't want you to benefit from me. And if he's going to act as his agent, if the coin is going to act as his agent, then the fellow is benefiting from the coin. The Amr's Shluche Dishmaya, sorry, if you say that the coin isn't acting as his agent, he's acting as the agent of heaven. So then it would be okay for this Kohen who had imposed a konam, or imposed a uh, madir hanor from the other fellow, to offer his sacrifices, my. So we want to know how to evaluate, how to categorize 
Kayhanim, are they Shluchei Didon or Shluchei Deshmaya? And now we have a marking scheme. Take note of the fact that this marking scheme continues to Lamed, Vav, Omed, Aleph, alternating direction triangles. On the side of the Gemondor, the Mivneh heading, you can see there is a Ma'akav, an attempt to keep track. The triangle fa- uh, point facing upwards, these will be attempts to, let's say, prove, to show that they are agents of heaven. The inverted triangle, there will be rejections of what was said till that point, and will be maintaining at that point that the Kohen is really our agent. Toshma, Disnan. Uh, we quote from our Mishnah, our Mishnah which featured someone who was a, uh, we had Mudur Hanome Chavero, he had restricted his friend from deriving benefit, and yet it says, Umakrivolov Kine Zoven the Kohen is able to uh, offer his sacrifices, the, the friend's sacrifices. If you were to say that the Kohen is the uh, owner's agent, <clears throat> How in the world can he offer his sacrifices? He would be uh, bestowing benefit upon the friend, uh, contrary to the vow. Uh, and that benefit is by, by simply doing his agency. The Gemara rejects this. According to you, that you want to say that the Kohen is Shluchi Deshmaya, why did the Mishnah choose, we'll say, these peculiar or specific examples in referring to the sacrifices? Listening, let the Mishnah simply have said, Makriv Alov Korbonos. The Kohen offers all sacrifices. Why, why did the Mishnah specify these sacrifices? Ela, rather, Mechusre Kapora Shaini. The sacrifices in the Mishnah were actually very deliberate examples. They are examples of Mechusre Kapora. Now, we, let's define Mechusre Kapora and we'll understand things a little better. People bring sacrifices for any number of reasons. In some cases, the lack of bringing of the uh, sacrificial offering results in the individual not being able to, let's say, achieve total purification from a state of defilement. And as a result, he or she won't be able to eat sacrificial meat. What we just described is a specific realm called Mechusre Kapora. The words mean literally, they are missing... Kapora. Kapora is a word often interchangeable with sacrifices. Literally, they are missing atonement, but we're not dealing with a with a, a, the realm of sin, and that's an important point here. We're we're dealing with people that until they bring their sacrifice, they do not achieve full purification. This is, by the way, in contrast with someone, let us say, that had uh, eaten blood or eaten chalev, or violated Shabbos, all uh, bishogeg, unwittingly. Those people have committed a sin, and they have to bring sacrifices as well. However, they are not called mechusrei kapora. 
a person, let us say, who violated Shabbos uh, unwittingly, Beshogek, true, he's committed a sin, but that doesn't affect his his, his uh, status of, of purity. He's able to eat uh, sacrificial meat, even if he didn't bring the sacrifice. So our Mishnah is dealing with a very specific type of korban that the when we speak about the uh, the mudar hanom chavero, that kohen nevertheless can offer them. These are korbanos of mechusrei kapora. In the examples of the Mishnah, the zavin, the zavos, the yaldos, these are all people that had experienced defilement, not sins, defilement, uh, necessitating them after a purification period to bring specific sacrifices, and those. Are, those uh, enable us to say, as the Gemara says, shiny. I will tell you that in general, as we wrote in between the lines, as we took from the commentaries, that kohanim <coughs> are essentially shluchei didon. But when you're dealing with this kind of sacrifice, mechusrei kapora, it's different. Yom Rabbi Yochanan, das kapora. In all other cases of sacrificial offering, you have to have the approval of the owner of the sacrifice, the exception being Mechusrei Kapora, Sheri Odom Mevi Korbon Al Bonov V'Albenoisov Haktanim. A person can bring sacrifices for his children that are minors. Shinemar Zois Teiras Hazav, that's what the Pasuk says, Bein Godol Bein Kotan. If you have a person's uh, children that became defiled, uh, they, uh, the father will bring the necess- necessary sacrifices for their uh, final purification. And uh, you're talking about uh, for them, for the minors. They don't have das, they don't have a, a mindset about them. And just like the sacrifice is effective for them, likewise you can bring it for someone even if he is unaware of your bringing it. They don't have to have uh, awareness of your bringing the sacrifice for their purification. And since you can offer it without their knowledge, we say that your offering of it is not a case of your bestowing benefit or hanor to them. He's not even aware that you're doing it. And this, uh, you can see, we emphasize in the Rashi, across from here, I'm reading in the middle of the Rashi, where uh, Rashi says at the first word of the line, since you're offering it without his knowledge, you're not considered bestowing benefit or pleasure to him. The subject of the vow isn't even aware of what you're doing. So, uh, from our Mishnah, you cannot conclude that the Kayhanim are Shluchei Deshmaya. In fact, Kayhanim are Shluchei Didon. And uh, the reason that the Kohen, who was Madir Hanome Chayver, can offer the sacrifices is because you're dealing with specific sacrifices, sacrifices of Mechusrei Kapora. The Gemara continues. Elo Me'ata. L'Rabbi Yochanan. The Pasuk uses, in the case of a woman bearing a child, the same expression as we saw with the Zav. 
Zos Toras. And here it says Zos Toras Hayoledes. So according to let's say Rabbi Yochanan's way of learning the Psukim, you're going to then say, well, you have to bring sacrifices for the Yoledes, for the woman bearing a child, being Tano, being Gedola. Whether she's a minor, bearing a child, or an adult. Well, Ketano Bas is a minor capable of bearing a child. Vahotoni Rav Bevai Kamei the Rav Nachman. Rav Bevai teaches the following source, Shalosh Noshim Misham Shois Bemoich, the three categories of women that are entitled to conduct intimacy with their husbands using a contraceptive. The moch is a piece of um, fabric inserted into that area of the woman that would absorb the male seed, preventing her from becoming pregnant. Uh, and the, 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 we'll call these three categories whereby we, we allow for this special dispensation. Katana, umuberas, umenika. And there, there's a great amount of discussion of this in other Gemaras. We want to focus only on one point. Uh, amongst the ladies allowed to use this contraceptive is a katana, a minor. She's married. Her father married her off to a man. And in, uh, in uh, their intimacy, she can use the moch. Shemotis aber vitomus. We're fearful that she might become pregnant. And if she becomes pregnant, she's going to die as a result of that. So minors don't give birth. Now, if that's the case, then... How was Rabbi Yochanan able to darshan the Pesach before, uh, whereby we derive, in the case of Zoyz Teras Hazav, we derived the uh, cotton as well, which was the basis of our answer before. The Gemara says, there is no problem here. The drosha uh, that Rabbi Yochanan mentioned stance, namely that Zoyster Hazav comes to include minors. And as far as the Yoledes Posik is Darshan, Hahi Zostoras though this Zostoras expression is used for something else. Bain Pikris Bain Shaita. Whether the wife is a, a sane individual or if she's a shaita, she's imbecile or insane, uh, nevertheless the husband will bring a korban for her in, on the occasion that she bore a child. Shekain Odom mevi korban al ishto shaita. Kedivrei Rabbi And based on Rabbi teaching, <coughs> a man will bring a sacrifice for his woman, even if she is a shaita. Uh, and I think that we see here as well the concept of no knowledge, just like we mentioned before with regard to the cotton. Desanya Rebuda Omer, Odomevi Korban Oshir, Al Ishto, a woman who marries a man, she might be a, a, a woman with limited means, but she married a man of wealth. In certain areas of Korban bringing of uh, sacrifices, the sacrifice, uh, the type of sacrifice is dependent on income or dependent on wealth of individual. That's called a Korban Oilevi and we don't have to get into the details of that right now. We're looking primarily to see Rebuda's teaching that a man is obligated to bring his wife's sacrifices. 
the Chol Korbanah A man brings a sacrifice, the expensive type sacrifice, if he's a man of means for his wife, and all sacrifices that she is obligated in bringing. Shekach Kosev Law, thusly he writes in their marriage, in the, uh, in the Ksuba, he guarantees the following. And whatever sacrificial obligations you have uh, are now upon me. The Rashi, three lines from the bottom, mentions the point that we alluded to before. Just like a man will bring a sacrifice for his wife that uh, she uh, lost her marbles, she's, uh, she's an imbecile, but she gave birth, and that generates the need for <coughs> a sacrifice. As, uh, as we mentioned before, that sacrifice is associated with purification. It's not associated with sin. If we're associated with sin, so then a shaita, a shaita is not someone who is considered in violation of sins. They don't have their minds about them. But we're not dealing with that. We're dealing with purification. And as such, we see that when you're dealing with the realm of mechusrei kapara, which, again, we mentioned before, that's an expression that's associated with korbanos that are brought for purification purposes. You don't need das. Here the, the wife is a shaita. She's not aware of what's going on. She's an imbecile. And the, yet the korban is brought on her behalf. And as such, we can still maintain the position that kohanim are shluchei didon. We continue at the top of the Lamed Vov in this discussion. Uh, Mosiv Rav Simi Bar Abba. Uh, Rav Simi quotes now a source that will show us to the contrary that there's Shluchi Dishmaya. It says, Im if the Madir, if the person who imposed the vow on his friend is a, if he's a Kohen, Yisroch alov dam chatos v'dam hashomoy. He can sprinkle the chatos and osham blood, bloods of chatos and osham, which are sin and guilt offerings, respectively. Now it's mashma that would imply even in non mechuser kapora situations. Now, if it's non-mechutzur kapor, it's like general sacrificial offering, and the Kohen is going to be processing the Korban for someone that is not allowed to benefit from him, it must be that the Kohen is shluchi dishmaya. He's the heaven's agent. Otherwise, he would be in, in violation of the, of the neder. The Gemara rejects that question or rejects that point and says, Dam chatosoi shel mitzorah v'dam ashomo shel mitzorah. The Tanakh source that made reference to chatos and osham are not general sin offerings, but rather back to the realm of mechusrei kapora. And, and I will maintain that in general, kaihanem or shulchei didon, and from here you don't see any violation of the vow because you're dealing with mechusrei kapora, the chatos of a mitzvah, person who was a mitzorah, uh, they, at the conclusion of their tzoras period, the tzoras is that phenomenon that's associated with nigoyim, with skin discoloration, that 
the Torah details in Parshas Tazriah and Sefer Vayikra. At the conclusion of that uh, that defilement period, they bring sacrifices. And again, you're dealing with Menachusri Kapora. Dichtiv and the Posik indicates thusly, Zos Tia Torah and you see that uh, that uh, expression again, those teras, bein godol, bein cotton. We include even the cotton, who is not someone that has any awareness. And yet I bring on his behalf the requisite carbonus. Uh, Rashi again just reminds us that when it says bein cotton, bein godol, I don't, I'm, we're showing you don't need das, and that uh, lack of das uh, requirement. Uh, the the ability to bring with uh, without das applies even if the client is an adult. Tanan ha kainim shepiglu b'mikdash mezidin chayovin ha shegigin p'turin el shepigulon pigul. The term piglu has to do with sacrifices that are offered with an incorrect mindset. Specifically regarding, say, time and place. Uh, for example, a person uh, uh, slaughters a korban and then uh, sprinkles the blood with the intention of eating the meat of the korban uh, three days from now. That's an incorrect thing to that. Ruins the korban. If a kohen offered the korban with that incorrect mindset, knowingly, maze it. Chayovin means he has to compensate the owner uh, in the purchase of a new sacrifice. Now, if the Kohen was Mafagel Hoshoygigin, if he did so unwilling, un- unwittingly, not knowing that there's any problem in incorrect thoughts, they will be exempt from the compensation. But, as far as the effectiveness of the Korban, no, it's a ruined Korban. If you say if that Koyhanim are categorized as the agents of heaven, Hainu, Shepigulon, Pigol. And I understand that the. Uh, I understand the ruination of the Korban. Eloi Amris, Shluche Didon. But if you say that they are our emissaries, that the coin is, op- is, is acting on behalf of the owner of the Adam, of the sacrifice, how can the agent's incorrect thought result in the ruination of the korban? Let the owner say, I appointed you as an agent in order to operate on for my benefit, not for my ruination, not to mess me up. And therefore, if the Kohen would have a Machsheves Pigol, which is something that is to the detriment of the owner, the agency doesn't exist. There is no agency for that. So, we are demonstrating from this that it must be that Kohanim are Shluchei Tishmaya. And if you're following our marking scheme, you can see the triangle. The last triangle's point was facing upwards. <coughs> and now it's inverted. The Gemara rejects that, that objection or that point, and says, Amri, I will tell you in general, the Kohanim are 
Shluchei Didon. And if you'll ask if it's Shluchei Didon, so then how can his wrongful mindset take effect? Shiny Gabi Pigol, the Omar Kral, the realm of Pigol is different. There's a scriptural dictate. Lo Yechoshev, Lo Pigol Yihyeh. That's the Pasuk, and that means Mikomakam. Under all circumstances, it will be Pigol. If the Kohen has a wrongful mindset, even though, according to the standard laws of Shlichus, his Shlichus would have been, let's say, cancelled, nevertheless, since you're dealing with the realm of Pigol, his wrongful mindset will take hold anyway. So as you can see, following this uh, back and forth scheme, uh, we are left with the with the distinct possibility that the kehanim are not necessarily shluchei deshmaya; they may very well be shluchei didon. With that, we conclude our shiur for today.